0: welcome everybody to the eyes on big podcast your go-to big 10 football podcast brought to you by the amateur whiskey company i'm your co-host jeffrey the greek joined as always by this is big kurt here big kurt you on twitter i am on twitter and
1: big kurt on twitter at b1g k-u-r-t
0: and i am jeffrey the greek at jeffrey the greek thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast as you can tell the audio is a little bit different which means we have a special guest and it's about as special as it gets heisman trophy voter Brett Siancia from Pick 6 Previews. Brett, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on.
2: And, um, you know, it's funny. I've listened to probably a 100 of your episodes, 100 plus. I've never seen visually the intro live because we're here on Zoom video. So, you know, a little like behind the scenes. I got to see the intros and I don't see any Amador yet, but uh, maybe we'll get some of that out later in the show. But uh, thanks for having me on. It's the best time of year. Everyone's optimistic about their teams. Everyone's undefeated right now. And uh, excited to break down the Big Ten for you.
0: Yeah, I actually put a tweet out that just, I think, a couple days ago on, on uh, the fourletternetwork.com, they switched everybody, I think it was just on Tuesday, over to double zeros for everybody. So it's that means we're getting close, baby. We're getting close. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, you guys start out a week early, too, with the big opener in Ireland, with Nebraska Northwestern, I think Illinois in action. So uh, it's really getting close. We're, we're coming down to week zero.
0: Yeah, I saw it. Um, uh, Fitzgerald uh, Fitzy got interviewed Big Ten Network, and they were breaking down the le- next couple weeks of practice. And basically, they got one more full week of camp, and then they're putting in the offense for for Nebraska that week after that. And you're like, "Wow, that stuff is coming quick." So that's fantastic. Um, all right. So first and foremost, uh, any any of our listeners, anybody that uh, has listened to Kurt and I talk, they know that we have talked a lot about the Pick 6 Preview Magazine. You upped your game this year. Uh, Not only do you have the PDF file, which is awesome, because you can do control search and find something really quick. So that is a very awesome thing uh, to have. But you also did a a physical book, a really glossy and bright, gorgeous book. Uh, Maybe just talk about that and what you learned this year.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for the praise there and uh, and the, the purchase there. Um, Yeah, so Pick 6 Previews I launched in 2012 as a college football preview website, similar to the the previews you'd find on newsstands. But um, the goal was always when I was growing up, I loved the preview books. I always thought they could dig a little bit deeper. Um, So that was the goal with my website. And, you know, fast forward now, it's been 10 years of digital only, online only previews. Now here in year 11, I made the decision to go with a hard copy option. I just think, you know, the, the preseason preview product, it's really it's uh, 50, 60, 70 years old since the 50s. Um, just having that tangible book in your hands, bringing it on the beach, bringing it to the lake, uh, having it there on the, on the coffee table there, the bedside table during the season. Uh, I think it's important to go hard copy and the reception's been great and, um, you know, excited to, to see it this uh, this sales cycle. And uh, I think it's just getting into more readers hands and they're getting to digest it more
0: with it in person. Yeah, I know, Kurt, I know you very much enjoy having the hard copy version.
1: Yeah, as you know, Brett, last couple of years, I've printed it and had it bound so that I can have it, you know, say, hold it, sit on my coffee table. So it's always there for the games. And now I just bought the hard copy and and I love it.
2: Yeah, Um, I mean, that was, uh, I agree. I'm old fashioned too. I like having that hard copy. Uh, And the beauty of it too, is that I still have the digital available. Uh, and with purchase of the di- of the physical copy, you get the digital emailed right away. So for those three days when it's in transit, shipping, you have access immediately. So it's kind of best of both worlds. Feedback's been great. And um, yeah, excited to break it down here.
0: And uh, definitely want to throw out most accurate publication for college football predictions since 2012. Uh, proof's in the pudding uh, with that stat right there. So a little bit more uh, with how you go about coming up with your predictions. This is just something... Uh, that I think is kind of interesting, would like to know more about. Um, it seems when I've listened to you on other podcasts, getting interviewed, radio shows, I follow you as much as I can, Brett. Um, it seems like you 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 do a pretty decent job of avoiding certain uh, um, avenues of information so that you can, you know, come to your your own predictions on your own. Maybe talk a little bit more about how you go about that.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think so much nowadays with, with college football media or just sports media in general, it's it's two things. It's either hot takes, like crazy, uh, just stuff for retweets, or it's kind of a copycat league, like they say about the NFL. At sports media, it's kind of a copycat league where you see things on your timeline and then on your Twitter feed, and you kind of just absorb that in your head and it becomes your own opinion. So what I do, I go the opposite. I put the blinders on all offseason. It's it's almost kind of crazy, but it, and it's not out of arrogance. I just want to arrive at, an authentic voice, you know, an original take, um, by going straight to the source material, I'm going, calling beat writers, calling head coaches, calling coordinators, watching the spring games, tuning into, you know, team specific podcasts, the beat writers that are there 365 days a year talking about their team. And then some conference specific podcasts too. Obviously eyes on big is my go-to for the big 10 has been for years. Uh, but beyond that, I don't really go national. I don't want to, you know, I, I put the blinders on and, uh, come to my own opinions. My, my formulas, everything, but I will say once I hit publish in July, yeah, I love tuning in and seeing what everyone else has predicted. But until that moment, I want to come up with something authentic and hopefully that appears on the pages there.
0: Absolutely. And then next thing would be, you know, anybody who reads through your book obviously knows that you're doing an excellent job researching it, uh, with stats and data. Um, I'm a little old school. I probably go way more gut feel. <laughs> I mean, you know, you do your research, but at some point what my eyes see kind of leads to my prediction. So for you, is there is there a breaking point somewhere where maybe the data points are telling you one thing, but your your gut on, you know, maybe the direction a program has been going is a little bit different. Is there kind of a mix in there for you about how you come to your predictions?
2: Yeah, I like this question a lot. And, um, you know, once I found out that there was a website that tracks the accuracy uh, and grades these publications, I'm very competitive. Once I learned of that, I knew I had to go win it. And uh, and with that, it was taking in any data point I can get my hands on. And that's the visual, you know, that's watching I have four screens going every Saturday in the fall for 14 hours. I love it. It's nonstop. Sunday, I'm watching condensed games. And then uh, in the spring, it's every spring game I can find. So you have the visual component. Uh, I'm a numbers guy, too. So I've devised some formulas, some analytics, some metrics. I think that's an important touch. It's not the be all end all, certainly. Uh, And then the last bit is putting it into context of what these coaches and coordinators are trying to run. So talking to these guys, you know, what kind of offense they're running, how their player personnel fits. Uh, So it's kind of a three way component there. Uh, And then the last bit, and this is a newer one, is all the player movement in the country, the transfer portal, even the coaching carousel, bringing guys with them. Uh, it's just so many different data points. There is no exact formula between the data points that I, you know, that I point to. It's, um, it's just weighing every, every piece of data I have um, some, for some programs, maybe the numbers weigh outweigh what I watched on screen and vice versa. So maybe this is a bad answer, but it's kind of everything. It's, it's my, my formulas, watching the games, watching the spring games, talking to people, listening into shows. And uh, going really position by position, thanks to the transfer portal, it's very it's complicated. What I do tenfold uh, since when we started ten years ago.
1: Brett, let me add a sub question to that. How much does the history of a specific program or the prestige of a program plan? Does it plan? And I'll give you a for instance. The the West, you know, we're both West guys here. Me and me and, and Jeff, we catch some crap for that, but we are West guys, and the West is always up for grabs, it seems. And it's maybe more so this year than any year. And I see fans of non-Wisconsin teams complaining because people are k- picking Wisconsin. Well, to me, it makes sense to pick Wisconsin because nobody knows really what's going to happen. There's no clear leader. So who's who's the team that's won the most the last five years, last 10 years? You've 25 years, really, amongst those people, amongst those teams in the West, Wisconsin's been king. So does that play into your equation at
2: all um a little bit so let me see so when i you know i I love the history of the game i love the traditions um i love looking out out the old history in my book i have old trends like win trends from 20 50 100 years um that's I, i use that as background context and more so when i'm evaluating the success of a coach and a staff and a coordinator is you know how are they within the program context so a quick example wake forest they pull off an 11 win season Last year, they win the Atlantic. That is an all-time historic season for Wake Forest. I mean, that's one of the best ever, if not the best team in 120 years they've been playing football. Meanwhile, you win 11 games at Alabama, that's a reloading year. That's a rebuilding year. So I think in terms of evaluating how a coach is doing, uh, it's important to look at some program context. Now, the other part of it is forecasting the actual standings and rankings for the next season. Not so much. I can throw some of that ancient history out. Um, I think the more relevant things are performance the last three years, last five years, um, and then recruiting the last five years, because that's kind of the composition of the team and the program. Um, I do look back to coordinators where they've had success. So maybe a guy, a coordinator turned around an offense 10 years ago. Yeah, it's 10 years ago. But if the, the fact pattern follows, he could probably do that again at this new school. So, um, so long story short, in terms of just evaluating the success of a certain coach in their season, I like the context. But for forecasting forward, um, you know, you got to narrow that scope a little bit to three, five years.
0: Um, that's a great answer. Uh, here's something I'd be curious on. It, it sounds like you're talking to head coaches, offensive coordinator, coordinators, defensive coordinators. Is it sort of amazing how open some are and how close some are compared to compared to each other?
2: Yeah, and uh, what I found pretty interesting is they kind of reflect the personalities that you see on TV and in, at, at media days and in press conferences. Um, you know, uh, two quick examples, um, you know, Dave Aranda, I got to interview him two years ago after he was hired at Baylor. Uh, he's a very cerebral guy, a defensive genius, but, you know, not the most outgoing on the phone, and, and that's totally fine, and I remember thinking, this guy's going to rebuild Baylor's defense almost immediately, and it happened, um, but just that personality fits what you see on TV. On the other side of the spectrum, all the way over would be PJ Fleck. And I got a chance to interview him. And most coaches, I only keep them on the horn for 10, 15 minutes. I'm respectful of their time. But I remember that their sports information director came back and said, hey, we're going to need more than 10 minutes. I'm thinking more like an hour for PJ. So I was like, <laughs> okay, hey, uh, by all means, I, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And it was cool. We got to go through all of his program slogans, you know, um, <laughs> and he was, he was very open. I respect that he was open saying, hey, I understand my style isn't for everybody, uh, but for the 85 guys that we do have, they signed on to play for this program and this style, and it works. And when you look at their win-loss trend and what he's pulled off there, it's hard to argue. So uh, I left. Uh, I left with some respect for him there. It's uh, it's impressive what he's built, and he's kind of he kind of doubled down on his character. And you got to see that on the phone.
1: Okay, I love that anecdote you just gave there. That was basically going to be my my next question. So I want another one. Like, who, do you have like a favorite moment or a favorite coach? or some other strange thing that happened. I, I want, I want stories, man.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, um, Ah, uh, let's see. I think I might've already used this one on a prior podcast with you, but when I got to interview coach friends from Iowa, um, right off the cuff, he just asked me a, a plain question. Hey, where are you calling from? And uh, I said, CIO city down the shore, down the Jersey shore. And right away he was like, Oh, do you know so-and-so breakfast place and so-and-so bar? I was like, Whoa, how does this, you know, how's this Midwestern Iowa guy know these, Ocean City and Isle spots. So apparently back on the recruiting trail, they used to hit the Jersey Shore. And so it was very familiar, threw me off right away, uh, talking to a, a Midwest Big Ten guy, dropping some uh, Springfield in references down the shore. So very cool there, very uh, unexpected. Um, I got to interview Chip Kelly and being based out of Philadelphia, a lifelong Eagles fan family, I did kind of throw one crossover question in there at the end about his time in Philadelphia, even though it was about the UCLA job uh pj fleck we talked about the great great talk there with all the slogans uh one last one here um talking to joey mcguire texas tech head coach this year probably my favorite interview of this cycle um he's basically if you don't know his backstory he was been a high school coach for 25 years down there in texas won a couple of texas state titles but three years later now he's the head coach of a power five program uh, so all of a sudden you have a high school legend as the head coach at a power five team and uh, he was very open about it. Great personality. I'm pulling for him. I, I left thinking, "Hey, I-, I hope he does well there," because I love high school football. I love supporting local ball, and uh, he seems like a great fit.
0: Love it, man. That's some good, uh, some good behind the scenes stuff. So you know, and, and you kind of already alluded to it, but maybe some of our listeners don't don't uh, get it, but. It's not you know as if the publication and what you do on Twitter wasn't enough, you are you're doing a ton of podcast interviews, a ton of radio interviews. Um, so you're getting a much better uh, perception of of all around the country whereas Kurt and I obviously are just focusing on the Big Ten. We obviously have all seen the news recently that the Big Ten and the SEC, have separated themselves from the rest of the conferences and the teams obviously in those conferences. Are you picking up a sense from the fans outside of the Big Ten? Uh, animosity, feelings towards the Big Ten and the SEC and the fact that you know they're getting so ahead in the arms race, so to speak, with these TV contracts?
2: Um, Not really. I think that the, the blame might be misplaced in that example. I don't think that people are upset with quote unquote, the big 10 or Ohio state or Michigan or Penn state, I think almost all the anger that I've seen and and the the frustrations are placed onto these big uh, TV contract, uh, not contracts, uh, these big TV companies. I mean, the media packages, the Fox, the ESPNs of the world, um, they see that not just this latest wave of realignment, but really the way that the playoff has been covered and really put at the forefront of the game uh, that, that kind of started the anger towards the big networks But you see it more and more with each cycle of realignment where it becomes less about football on the field on Saturdays and more about TV money and media rights and, um, you know, taking teams from the West Coast and just eroding the history of the sport. So I don't think they're mad at the Big Ten per se. They're probably a little bit envious of the Big Ten and the cash they are coming in. Um, You know, they they might wish they had that conference security if you're, uh, say, a Texas Tech, to use that same example, a team that's middle tier or lower tier power five. So a little envious of the security that an SEC bid would bring, but I don't think it's hey, it's not their fault that they're getting these deals and what are they going to decline them? So I think it's more so anger towards Fox and the ESPN.
1: Brett, do you notice uh, one area of the country or a specific conference or even specific program that carries the most anger in this situation? Oh,
2: that's a tough one. Um, <clears throat> I'd probably say the Big 12 is most upset um, for two reasons. One, they just had Texas leave them. And and if you know some of the backstories with the Big 10, the Big Eight, the Southwest Conference, Texas has really manipulated that part of the country, uh, always wanting more, always wanting more control. They moved the Big 12 offices from Kansas City down to, I think somewhere in Texas, Dallas probably, uh, and then wanted the Longhorn Network. And then that wasn't enough. And so Nebraska left and So long story short, they've always been upset with Texas. And now that they picked up and moved to the SEC, one of these new power conferences, um, they're upset. So especially when you see quotes about how the Big Ten, the Big 12 is going to be carved up by the other conferences, all this. So I think they're very frustrated. I would say the same about the Pac-12, but at so many of those fan bases, there is a lack of a fan base. They don't care. I mean, you look at some of these games, they're empty. Um, Now, that's not to say all of them. I know that Utah is a very passionate fan base, Oregon, Washington but some of these Cal Stanford I mean there's not a peep out of them because there aren't any people that care out there for football so I would say most of the anger is those middle tier big 12s that fear they might get left behind and just see their old regional history getting uh getting wiped away
0: yeah there was you know there was heat uh sent the big Tens way uh you know a month ago when it, it it was announced that USC and and UCLA had joined I heard somebody say you know the big Ten just put, you know, the nail in the coffin for there being more than two conferences. And I'm like, now, wait a second. You know, Texas is the ones who started all of this with the fly by night. I mean, it was almost exactly a year ago, just over a year ago. At that point, the Big Ten and they needed to do their job to keep up. You know, I mean, you're you're not doing your job at that point if you're not trying to add teams. Um, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of value added teams left for the Big Ten. And the SEC uh, after Notre Dame falls, wherever it, it falls. Um, but I also understand we don't have to go deep into you the know, teams and the deals, but I also know you're the type of guy that's got an old soul and would love to see the college football game look way more reminiscent of how we, it, the sport we grew up with moving forward. I don't know. Any comments on that? Any concerns that you have with college football moving forward?
2: Yeah, well, you're speaking right to my heart there. I I agree 100%. Maybe I'm in the minority opinion, but I love the old history, the old traditions, what made college football unique, uh, the regionality, the in-state battles. And with each round and each wave of realignment, you lose a little bit more of that historic game, and you're replacing it with some kind of NFL junior. And I hate to see that. Um, Why is it always that college football is the one that has to change to be more like the other ones? How about we make them more like college football? That's never Hmm. brought up. (laughs) Um, you know, oh, but look at March Madness. We should make our sport more like that. No, how about they don't? They made they make their sport more like college football. But needless to say, I don't need to do a big rant. Um, I will say there was a reason as a youngster that I was drawn to college football uh, as a contrast to the NFL. I mean, uh, watching these teams play, you had option attacks, you had running quarterbacks, you had marching bands, Uh, you just had the electricity on Saturdays. Keith Jackson, his his, you know, that's the first announcer I grew up with. But um. Yeah, and then, like, it just feels like with each wave of realignment, they're dummying it down, and, and then if you expand the playoff, it becomes, like, an NFL playoff, and I don't know. I'm old-fashioned, like, like Jeffrey said, and um, I just, uh, yeah, I wish we had more regionality back in the sport, the old conference alignments before, this, uh, before these waves. So, almost, one way to look at it is you hope these two conferences get so big that then they break into smaller divisions, and then we're back at square one with an Atlantic division, which is basically the ACC and then a Western division, which is basically the Pac-12. So, I don't know. At this point, you just got to laugh and just uh, we're all along for the ride of what Fox and ESPN wants to do.
0: And then um, before we go on to a few and focus on the Big Ten, um, one last national thing. I see you have, you know, your top four uh, for the college football playoff. Number one, Alabama. Number two, Ohio State. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Utah as your wildcard team, Uh, good luck on the Utes uh, sneaking in there for you. That'll pretty much sync up the, or uh, lock up the most accurate for 2022. Um, uh, It seems to me through my limited research outside of the Big Ten, Alabama is number one far and away. I know you have them number one. Um, Typically we have two or three teams uh, that are kind of separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Unfortunately, and I hope I'm wrong for, Buckeye fans and any other Big Ten fans that want to get in the college football playoff. But I think Alabama is far and away the best team, maybe reminiscent of how LSU was in 2019. Agree or disagree with that.
2: Yeah, I think Alabama's distanced themselves as the consensus number one this year. And I think to sum it up in two parts, uh, one is just the player personnel. Usually the, the problem with Alabama is we're talking, wow, they lost 14 draft picks. How are they going to replace this whole team? Uh, instead, now it's only seven draft picks gone and you return this time around the Heisman winner. You return the best defender in the country, Will Anderson, five stars every position. But my second point is that, and this is in general, but Nick Saban continues to harness all the modern tools of the game. I mean, when offense is modernized right away, he gets Lane Kiffin in there. Now they have a great offense too. Um, when you could expand your staff, he took that to the extreme and they have analysts all over the place. But the more, more recent change is this transfer portal. And, um, you know, year to year, you might have some weak spots or some thin roster spots this year, it would have been offensive line and would have been receiver, but now he harnesses that tool and then goes out and gets Georgia's top receiver, Jermaine Burton, Louisville's top receiver, um, Tyler Harrell, and then a three-year starting lineman from Vandy. So it's just every modern device that that is being added to the game, he's dominating. So uh, they're a perfect team. There's no way around it. And I think the consensus national champion pick.
0: All right, moving on to the Big Ten here a little bit. So every time Kurt and I do our deep dives, uh, there's a team or two or three that surprises us that we like more than we thought. And there's a team or so that surprises us where maybe we don't like them as much as we thought we did. Is there two or three teams that fit either one of those categories in the Big Ten for you once you did your research? Yeah, I think in the East Division, a team that
2: pops out that surprised me uh, in a good way was Michigan actually. And it might sound crazy because they're de- the defending conference champs, defending East champs. But a lot of times when you see a team come out of nowhere and finally break through and then they send a lot of the guys to the pros, you think, okay, that was a nice one-year wonder, a nice one-hit wonder, and they're back down to you know middle of the pack. But this time, it's different after researching just how strong this offensive line has been built, uh, kind of in uh, Harbaugh's old image at Stanford. Um, and they bring back three starters. They pulled in a, a, a Remington-caliber guy at, at center and uh, eight starters back on offense. So a lot to like there. Defensively, some of the headliners are gone, but they recruited such a nice clip. Uh, long story to say, I still have Michigan in my top 10, and they could really compete with Ohio State. We'll get to that in a couple questions from now. But I, you know, back in December, I thought there was a one-and-done type deal, and I think nowadays uh, it has more staying power. And one more, I'll go from the West, would be Nebraska. I know we're going to talk about this in detail. I know that Jeffrey wants to talk about them in, in detail. Um, really what's, what shocked me was just how statistically uh, crazy, how much of an outlier last season was for them. And I remember watching it week to week, but it's one thing to watch it on every Saturday, but looking back now in totality, it was such a freak season. And, um, so the game grader loved them last year. My per play metrics loved them. So here's a, a, an example where you got to weigh everything, right? The numbers love Nebraska. You would think they were a nine and three team. If you looked at just their stat profile. Um, but then again, that doesn't cover turnovers and, uh, that, <laughs> that held them back or special teams too. So they're a puzzle as is the entire big 10 West is a total puzzle. So, uh, and we'll get into that, but those are two that really stood out as, as shock teams and surprise teams.
1: Brett, when, when you don't predict a team to do well, and they, they do well, is there a post-mortem that you do? Like, let's say, uh, last year, I don't think you predicted Purdue to finish very highly, but they they finished the the season nine and four. Do you go back and look at maybe there was something you missed? Um, Do you do that for multiple teams and try to find a pattern?
2: That's a great question. Um, well, I mean, I am complimentary. You know, if a team proves me wrong, I'm quick to be on Twitter and, and tweeting out, you now. congrats on a great season. And you know, it's it's no hard feelings. On the other side of the coin, my playoff prediction last year blew up in my face on the first night of the season on Thursday. I didn't make it to Saturday. It was Thursday night, the opening Thursday. Just for the record, um,
0: I even when I talked about Utah before, I didn't bring up North Carolina. That's that's you. No, hey, it up, I'm
2: I'm quick to bring it up myself. Because hey, for all the the accolades, all the all the accuracy wins, you got to point to the losses too, and. That is one that just did not make sense looking back, but, um, hey, but you Hey, take you win- know, and
0: I know nobody gives you credit, but you were the only one that had North Carolina. At least you had the, you know, the, the hoo-ha to be able to to throw somebody out there that wasn't what everybody else was predicting. So you at least yeah. deserve credit with that.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Hey, I, I swing it this way. I was the only one without Clemson and they missed the playoffs. So, you know, got to, got to swing it a little bit. Um, that's but anyway,
0: that's something. yeah. Right yeah. There.
2: But, uh, yeah, in terms of the postmortem question, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's just it's the same process I'm going through each year. I kind of go blank slate and um, you know, I do look at the 2021 numbers a lot, but I don't hold any grudges of like, you know, where I should have done last year. It's kind of once it's published, it's on to reevaluating the current season. But yeah, it's an interesting point.
0: Well, I picked Maryland to go one eleven last year and they went seven and six. And you know, the plus side is I got to meet a lot of Spirited Maryland <laughs> fans after that. So there's always you know, there's always a silver lining with that. And
1: it wasn't and um, like you, Brett, because I picked Purdue last in the West as well. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Well. I mean, I think a lot of people were wrong on Purdue and Michigan. I think you had
1: Purdue six. Now that I if I remember correct but anyway, I am last, so I was wrong too. Yeah, so we'll
0: start in the east and get a little bit deeper here. I mean, we've already kind of alluded to it a little bit. Um so Kurt and I are notorious sandbaggers. <laughs> we, we don't make our predictions until right at the very end because, Hey, uh, we got that freedom and you never know. I mean, wake forest just had horrible yep. news from their quarterback today. So that's something, you know, that obviously is going to change the race for the ACC, uh, long story short. Um, w- I'm not there yet. Um, I've got a couple ideas. I'm sure Kurt does too, of where teams are going to get slotted. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan is close to me. Uh, I feel like it's closer to me than what seems to be the perceived closeness of the two teams, certainly on Twitter, but really just kind of other publications and listening to podcasts and whatnot. How close were those two teams for you for one and two, and maybe just speak on that a little bit.
2: Yeah. And it reminds me back to the, the surprise question. I mean, coming in when it's January, February, you know, first, first takes I'm thinking Ohio State, no brainer. I mean, right away pencil them in, but as I started to research Michigan more and more, it became more of a battle for number one in the East and which essentially in this year means a battle for the conference. Um, I think what gives Michigan more staying power, I already touched on the offensive line, um, but more so the team culture. I mean, I talked with Michigan podcast, Steve Dace. Uh, He's as in tune as any with Michigan and hearing about how uh, Harbaugh made it more player driven. The locker room was improved. And I know that some people out there hate these buzzwords, but a lot of this stuff, we saw it come true. I mean, If it wasn't true, then what was that performance against Ohio State? That was incredible. Um, And another intel there is: uh, Harbaugh put in a drill last year called the "Beat Ohio" drill, where at the end of every single practice, they would blast heavy metal music and just go physical goal line drill with the idea that, hey, once we play Ohio State, this is what's what's going to happen. And we watched that game; it was a three-hour-long "Beat Ohio" drill, really. So I think there's staying power there. He had great coordinator play or coordinators last year. Uh, does have to replace him, but uh, I, I think that he has some staying power. Ultimately went with Ohio State, the top offense in the country last year. Should be number one again this year, bringing back Stroud, Henderson. Now as sophomores, uh, experienced guys, not to mention the deepest receiver core in the nation. And I think the defense takes a step with Jim Knowles coming in, a great hire, and uh, and also a young team last year defensively. That that becomes more veteran. Something to be said about that, too.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um... Maryland, it was a surprise team for me. Uh, I I always, I mean, I thought there was parts about the offense that I would like. I think I liked parts of the offense even more, maybe even a little bit with the defense. Um, uh, How high, you know, realistically, how high do you think Maryland could get, you know, where they finish in the East total record and whatnot? I know you have them uh, fifth, uh, but do you think they have the potential to go higher?
2: Well, wow, it's just such a log jam in the Big Ten East. Uh, you talk about the Big Four, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State. Uh, it's really hard to break into that upper tier. Very rare, in fact. Indiana did it a couple seasons back. But besides that, it's, it's been pretty chalk at the top. Um, interesting note on Maryland. I agree with you on that offense. And you look at some of the position rankings I've got in the book. Very high on, uh, on Tag- uh, Tagovailoa there, third best quarterback. Um, second best receiver tight end stable, fourth best offensive line, a very veteran unit bringing back all five guys. So I think the offense does have high potential um, and, and it, we've spoken before about this they seem to be very boomer bust either they're gonna you know win the yardage by 300 yards and, and blow out a team or they can't establish the run and they get smoked. So I wonder if we see more of the same. Um, I'm not gonna put them any higher than fifth. I think fifth was a it was a battle for fifth place really for me, not so much. Could
0: they get above that tier? Wow. Okay. Um, that was Brett Ciancia with pick six previews there. That last comment there, Maryland fans. Not, not me. Uh Michigan State. <laughs> you you have them, um, you have them. Um, we got we got some confident Maryland fans, and I'm finding them on Twitter. So th- honestly, it's a team that intrigues me as much as any this year. So uh Michigan State, you got them fourth. You think there's a chance of a step back in the in the third year for Mel Tucker?
2: Yeah, I do. And um, again, it's, it's two parts to this. Number one, my hats are off to what he pulled off last year, what that team pulled off. It was really the case study of the transfer portal. And I say that because they were the first one to really do a wholesale change after a coaching change. Uh, I think it was 30 something transfers that were in, you know inserted into the roster, into the program. And I remember we were talking, it could either go one or two ways. And it certainly went the positive direction there, inking an 11 win season, a New Year's six bid, um, a New Year's six win too over Pitt. So with that said, though, when you look back at some of their games, and again, this is not to rewrite history, congrats on what they did, but forward-looking into 2022, a lot of these games were close margins. I mean, the Nebraska game could have gone either way. Um, A lot of one-score wins, and uh, that doesn't tend to, you know, I I, I, I tend to use that a little bit more than most. So um, they do have a lot of offensive firepower still back, and the defense returns a lot of production, number one in in the conference, actually, in that metric, but. Uh, overall, I think that, uh, I'm moving them down to fourth in the East and, uh, it's still good for top 25 nationally, but I have Penn state above them.
0: So I can challenge you on something real quick. Um, uh, I can do this for Michigan States, so I don't have to do it for my own team. It seems like there is a perception where if you lose a bunch of close games, well, that's a good thing. It's going to flip back your way the next year, but if you win a bunch of close games, Eesh, you better watch out. Isn't there something to be said about the DNA of a football team and program under their head coach when they are winning those close games? Now, Mel Tucker had the one big year. I understand, you know, a second and a third year for outside fan bases might make a difference, but I don't know. That's just something I pick up on from a lot of people. Any comments on that?
2: Yeah, say that's a great point, and I know that that has Iowa written all over it because you hear a similar take about. Uh, oh, they had so many interceptions last year. That's not going to repeat. Turnovers are random. Well, look at the, the coaching history there. Phil Parker, the best in the country doing it. Always fundamentally sound They're ball hawking. And it's not just one season. I think you go back eight, 10 years. Iowa was still number one in picks. So something to be said about a trend like that. Um, but what I do with the game grader formula, think of it as a sliding scale where, you know, not all wins are created equal. If you beat somebody 52-0 and you go plus 400 yards, that's a lot different than winning by a point, a fluky point and being out gained 200 yards and having a plus five turnover. You know, so long story right. short, it's, it's kind of a sliding scale to me, especially when I'm going 66 teams, five power five conferences. Um, so I do look at that a little bit.
0: Penn State got him third. Um, we've seen great seasons from James Franklin. A little bit of concern after the last two years. You feel good about them getting back up into that kind of third spot this year?
2: Yeah, I do. And um, <clears throat> a couple of things. Uh, they just signed their top recruiting class, arguably in school history, at least since the 90s. And that was a big point of emphasis from fans that, hey, you got to start to lock down the state, uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. I- I'm based out of here. There's a lot of great high school talent, uh, not just the all the western side, but uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, where I'm from. District one, district three, a lot of good talent. And they went out and did that. Uh, they finished sixth in the country recruiting class wise. That's big coming off of the seven and six season. Um, so a lot of momentum there and it's not just a number on a page, it's actual players. And I'm already seeing them in in the spring game, fall camp reports, um, the running backs, especially Katron Allen, the top 200 guy from IMG Academy. I'm sure fans know where that is in Florida. And then also the number one back in the country here from Pennsylvania, Nick Singleton. So, uh, from a group that couldn't run the ball at all last year, that's, that's key. Bringing in two top backs. Lastly, on a coordinator defensively, they of course lose Brent Pry longtime ace coordinator, but got to give James Franklin credit here. He, he rolls out the Rolodex, brings in Manny Diaz, a former not just coordinator in the power five level, but a head coach at Miami, a similar attacking blitz heavy scheme. So I think Penn State was better than the record showed last year. They get a lot of pluses here in the recruiting game and staff wise. And, staff-wise, and uh, that's good enough for a top 20 rank in my book.
0: So the last two teams I kind of have lumped together here for brevity, but Rutgers in Indiana, uh, Kurt and I, after doing our research, a little concerned, uh, you know, over the roster and how it's going to look for those two teams this year. Do you agree with us? And any positives to pull out from either one of those teams?
2: Yeah, well, um, first we'll start with Rutgers, who I have slated for last in the division. I think it's just bad timing. And I say that because uh, the schedule really heats up this year. They, they have no easy games in the cross-division. Uh, so, tough draw there. Um, and then also, I think they're still a year away from getting their quarterback of the future ready. Uh, of course, they have a couple of Power Five experienced quarterbacks there now, but um, I think they're still a year away. Uh, it's Gavin Wimsett, the top 200 kid, probably their best physically gifted quarterback that they've ever had out there. So, still a year away. I love Shiano. He's done it before at Rutgers. He's going to do it again uh, to some extent, just not this season. And with Indiana, I think they have a lot higher ceiling than what they showed us last year. Uh, Of course, it's hard to come off a a historic 2020 season the way they got to some high heights there. Um, Better than two and ten, of course, they're going to go up from that win total. I think number one is the stability at quarterback. They were crushed with injuries again. That's been the story with Penix all three seasons, but not just him with Tuttle. um, McCauley, I believe a lot of injuries all around the place, but that's not going to repeat. I don't think. And uh, I think to get back to more of that 500 or competing for a bowl, um, you know, than they were two and ten last year. I have a lot of respect for Tom Allen. I think he writes the ship a little bit.
0: All right, switching over to the West. Um, so first off, uh again, interviews and uh whatnot, I've heard you, you you kind of stand up for the Big Ten West, you know, saying it's better football than a lot of people give it credit for. So just want to say appreciate that. Uh appreciate the effort there. Um, and one th- you know, another thing I'd point out, and this is for you know all three of us. Y- if there was an elite team, because that's what you hear all the time, there's no elite team in the big 10 West. I agree. There's, there's no Alabama or Ohio state in there. That that's obvious, but if there was, then it would just be another boring division race. So as a college football fan, even if I was an outsider, I would say, that's something fun to check in on because you, you don't have the elite team. Anybody could come out of this. I mean, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois fans. I I would even say, you know, Northwestern, everybody in Purdue, obviously everybody feels like they've got a chance to win this thing. Maybe just talk on that for a second before we bore into the individual teams.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad you've picked up on me being a big 10 West defender. I've really been uh, hard on that the last couple of years because I see, again, I see a lot of lazy national takes where, and and it's not just them being lazy. They saw someone else's lazy take and then they're retweeting it and they're installing that as their opinion it's just been so ingrained in college football media that that the big 10 west is slow and is not any good uh it's a joke so anyway i I push back on that and say that these are physical teams they're they're well coached they're all kind of trending up especially when you break it down coach by coach team by team uh roster by roster so there's a lot to like here and i will say also this is the only division out there that i can make the case that all seven could win the thing and and it wouldn't be like a laughing stock right so Um, there there is a chance for everybody in this division. Um, lastly, I'll say this, and and to your point about there not being a playoff team, I think the majority of the national media, they view a conference's strength or a division strength on the headliner. Like the ACC is so strong because of Clemson. Well, (laughs) not really. Well, how about the other 13 teams? So I'm more in the sense of top to bottom, you know, the average team from each division, average team from each conference, how competitive is this league? And man, the big 10 West, they're tough. So, um, that's my mini rant on that. But uh, and also one last thing here, overall division wise, this was the hardest division to predict in the country. I, I do all five, like I said, all, all eight divisions and then the big 12. This was the hardest one through seven, but especially that two through five for me was the hardest 14 pack out there. I mean, I, I, I went back and forth many a time, uh, ultimately sided with what I've got here. We'll break it down.
0: So uh, a great person to talk to for the Gophers is a guy named Ryan Burns. He finds people that pick Wisconsin to just be not, not doing their research, essentially, is what he said. By the way, great, per- like, a great dude, great person to, to talk to for the Gophers and, and, and Big Ten in general. Is there a little bit of default setting going on there with Wisconsin? Or did you see some, obviously, I'm sure you did, saw some hard data points on why you pick Wisconsin to get there?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Burns as well. He does great, great work out there from Minnesota coverage. Um, yeah, with Wisconsin, it's a little bit of both. I mean, they do have a proven track record the last five, 10 years. Uh, Jim Leonard himself has an excellent track record as defensive coordinator. Uh, so at, at places like that, where they do lose some starters, I think it's seven starters gone from the defense. Uh, yeah, you, you might lean a little bit more on their, their coordinator and his track record. I do the same with Utah every year. And, uh, that's where I pick up some accuracy points. The Pac-12 South, I know I've, I've had my thumb on on Utah pretty well, um, but similar here, where there's a proven pipeline of players. I think that Kurt you coined this term, it's like a Xerox uh, copy machine. They keep printing them out, uh, 3D printing these linebackers year after year. Um, but no, so in all seriousness, there were some st- some stats that caught my eye. I think right away you looked at um, the one and three start, but from there they grew up really quick, and it, and it became more like the Wisconsin we're used to. They found Braylon Allen, uh, the new running back, and he looked like all the running backs of the old lineage. And that's just their next guy. The offensive line gelled. And my specifically my game-grader formula, where I judged the first half of the season, you know, September, October, compared to the back half of October through bowls, they were the number one improved team within the season. So uh, trending the right direction. And um, so I guess that's where I fall with that. Um, a little bit of uh, track record is important. I mean, why would you ignore it? but also some stats and some, some trends within the season to point to.
0: Nebraska got second. Um, certainly we saw how close the games were last year and that the schedule is going to be much more manageable. Um, the rest of the fan bases around the Big Ten West would point at the lack of success Scott Frost has had. He's still the head coach. Um, that's where I would think most of the angst comes from, from non-Nebraska fans. Uh, what was basically what pushed you over the edge to get them that high in the West? Yeah, well, a couple things, um, you know, looking
2: at the trends and the history of it, they, there has not been a team more unlucky in the country since the Bill Callahan era, since 18 years, uh, as Nebraska. And again, back to your point, a lot of that might be self-inflicted. If you're, if you're continuing to turn the ball over, maybe something's wrong with you. Look in the mirror. Um, with that said, it's almost like when you're at the the casino and it comes up red 20 times in a row, you're like, it's gotta go black. It's gotta go black. Just this once. Like, I feel like they're so due for a turnover plus year, you know, some great breaks with special teams. They've been cursed there too. Um, You know, but all jokes aside, I think they have a really high ceiling with the transfers they brought in. I love their front seven defensively and and the defense hasn't been the problem either. Um, But I think that what you do at quarterback specifically, I, I loved Adrian Martinez. He was a warrior. He battled through, like, uh, bone spurs in his leg and and a broken jaw, all kinds of stuff, and also the the hard media out there, a good media but hard, Um, a lot of turnovers. I mean, it's unavoidable. He led the country in fumbles. And when you talk about one-score games, how many of those would they have won without one or two turnovers a game, two more possessions a game? So bringing in an experienced Power 5 quarterback, Casey Thompson, led the Big 12 in touchdowns last year. I think he cleans that up a little bit. You lose some foot speed, but I think you bring in some accuracy and ball control. Um, all that to say, I think that they have the highest ceiling. I can see it really clicking um, higher than the other three contenders.
0: On uh, Speaking of the casino uh, example you gave, on Black Friday, it's actually been black seven times <laughs> in a row. Nebraska <laughs> yeah, right. fans are hoping it finally goes red. All right, I digress. Uh, Illinois. Oh, go ahead, Kurt. Uh, Illinois. Speaking of game grader, had to been one of the better teams for game grader on how they gained September, October, November. I know Kurt used that on our Illinois breakdown. I think Brett is just a really good coach, uh, something I'll probably reiterate again on when we do our predictions podcast. Uh, Big Ten Network game came on, and it was Wisconsin beating Ohio State uh, 2012, I'm going to say, somewhere around there. And, you know, and it's beetle on the sidelines. I'm just saying everybody says, uh, uh, you know, beetle just took over the perfect situation at Wisconsin. You still need to keep a program up and going and developing to be able to beat a team like Ohio state. They were number one that day when they beat them. I'm seeing some of the same things out of beetle since he have been at Illinois. Your game grader also plays that out. How do you feel about Illinois moving forward into this year?
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, it's uh, I think it's pick six previous history that I've moved Illinois out of last place. And um, in the Big Ten West, I had them sixth in the division a really tough division like we hit on um, a lot of points to, to a lot of things to point to in terms of trajectory of the program. I mean, almost higher level, but the way that he's installing the, the Illinois high school pipeline again. And I had a chance to interview Coach Bielema. He made that priority. Number one, he says, you know, what would be good for Illinois is locking down some Illinois town and rebuilding it with an Illinois base. The prior staff, Lovey Smith. It was unbelievable. One stat I found where um, an entire recruiting class, he didn't sign a single in-state prospect. That's got to be Power Five history. Especially it's a. Kurt just broke his
0: neck, nodding his head, right there.
2: Oh my gosh! And it's a populous state too. It's not like there's a team. You know, we're talking about from Wyoming or something. It's unbelievable. So, anyways, he knows that's a that's a priority. He's already doing that. Um, You're seeing an uptick in recruiting. That might pay dividends in a couple seasons, but for now, right away, it's a powerful running attack, a rushing attack. Um, I know that the, I almost hate that that Penn State game ended in a a nine overtime punchline, but if you actually dig into that game, Illinois dominated that game. I think it was 300 or even 400 rushing yards on a pretty tough Penn State defense. So, of course, that gets glossed over because it was a a circus overtime, but uh, Illinois really proved their worth there. They also beat Nebraska and they beat Minnesota last year, some key victories. They won back the Land of Lincoln trophy. So, I, I see positive momentum and there's no reason they can't make a bowl this year.
0: Nice. Um, Iowa, got him third. Um, And and I know you have him third, and maybe you don't want to talk about the potential. that That's not where they land. But what would be the ceiling and the floor for for Iowa?
2: Well, I think from this third-place starting point, the ceiling is a lot higher. I could see him winning the division. I mean, I really can. The defense is certainly division champion caliber. Could be the best defensive line he's had there. Um, the defense is there and we, and I put, I put this in the book. We kind of know we have with Iowa. It's kind of rinse and repeat every year. You know, you have an elite defense they're they're ball hawking. They're, they're fundamentally sound. Uh, they're going to make plays for you. You have excellent special teams. They're going to flip the field. They're going to tilt it their way. You're going to have short fields on offense. You're going to make, uh, opposing offenses earn it, but you still have the same quarterback situation. And it's hard to believe with all the transfer portal movement and quarterback carousel, here we are again, year three of Petras first Padilla, and um, and both guys have had chances too. And it's the offense has been kind of stuck in the mud. So I feel like we know what we have with them. The ceiling is division champ, but the floor I don't really see them going much further than third. I mean, they're gonna the defense is gonna win them enough games to finish first, second, or third, or, or fourth at the, at the very worst. They're not gonna tank. They're not gonna miss a ball season. Um, so I think it's more upside than downside.
0: Ironically, I have. Exact same question. You might have some of the same answers, but Minnesota, you have them third, tied with Iowa. And again, I know that's probably where you think they're going to be, but what's their ceiling or floor? Well, ceiling, again, is, is division champ. They could
2: certainly go do it. Uh, they finally got the Wisconsin W last year, got the axe back, and um, and it's kind of a similar answer. It is hard to believe that now three seasons removed from that 19 breakout season, you still have the same quarterback, Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim is back, an All-American caliber running back, Chris Altman, Bell, and then you also bring back the old coordinator, Kurt Sriracha, who just, it's incredible given all the transfers, and maybe I'm i am so in the zone with this book, I've, I've typed the word transfer probably a thousand times, it's, it's unavoidable, but to see the same core from 2019 still there, there's a lot of upside for the offense to improve um, through the coordinator change, and uh, and defensively, yeah, some, some rebuilding has to be done in the front seven, but uh, they, they have as, as proven a track record almost in the win column as Iowa. So uh, it was really tough. I ended up putting a tie in there. You know, I hate some other books out there where you open it up and the whole conference is a dang tie. You know, it's like, oh, tie this, tie that. Everyone's tied. I like making a stance, but even in this four-team pack, I had to tie the two middle ones with Minnesota and Iowa. It's
0: the last, game, last team you got which is pretty common for most people doing predictions, is Northwestern. You also alluded to any team in the division could win the division. The unlikely scenario that Northwestern does get back to Indy, how do they do it? Well, theirs
2: is kind of just uh, the get-out-of-jail-free card or whatever you want to call it, the magician's trick. I mean, because when you least expect it, boom, there, Fitzy pulls out a division champion. The magi- and,
1: the and there's really – you
2: know, to, to your question about stats or gut, I mean, that one is 100% just gut that they could do it. I mean, the stats are all red on the page. It's all, it looks terrible statistically, but uh, when you at least expect it, they shock people. So, uh, no, but in all seriousness, a ton of respect for what he's built over there. Um, and, it, and it has been a roller coaster effect. It's been division champ, last place. Division champ, last place. Now, uh, I don't see that continuing again with a bounce back to first. Um, you know, losing Hankowitz hurt a, a cycle ago, and we saw that defensively. Losing some star players too to the portal. Hurts, Brandon Joseph, uh, is the headliner there. The all-American gone Notre Dame. But uh yeah, so they're my pick for last place. But like I said, throw the throw the stats out the window when you're talking Northwestern because they, they surprise more than anybody.
0: You could have picked Northwestern to win it. All those books you would have sold in the greater <laughs> Evanston, Chicago area. I, I I I'm you didn't take the bait. Good for you though.
2: Yeah, Chappie would have been uh you know plugging <laughs> me every Plugging my book
0: every day on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. What a. All right, Big Kurt, you got anything, man? Sorry, I did most of the talking there.
1: Oh, that's all right. Uh, but I, I did just want to mention, uh, Brett, that the Big Six Previews, Preview Magazine is my primary preview publication. Not just saying that it's my favorite one, it's my go to. Um, like I said, it always sits right there on my coffee table for the entire college football season. So just love what you do and keep on doing it, man.
2: Oh, thanks. It means a ton. I know you're an aficionado of all the books and the radio shows over the years. So that means a lot coming from you. You guys know your stuff. So any praise from you guys, it means a little bit more. So
0: thank you so much. For me, I use other publications just as a starting point to familiarize. And then when I'm tired and when I'm, when it's time to drive home the hammer, uh, which is basically for us, when we do the team previews, I read through your preview. Um, Most other previews just kind of read like they're filling in the blanks. You know what I mean? Like it's the same uh, format. They just kind of They just put different names and coaches names in there. You tell a story about each team in each one. I am a reader and like to read that stuff. I think most people (laughs) around my age, appreciate that. So I wanted to tell you on this pod how much I appreciate the work that I know you have to put in to write those individual uh, team write-ups.
2: Yeah, no, thanks. And I I think you nailed it right on the head. And um, that's kind of the goal is I want I want fans to open up, not just for their own team, but for your opponents, your conference, and the whole nation. I want you to get something unique from this preview, like not something that you can Google, not just a stat or an acronym that we don't know what it means or you know uh, something that happened 30 years ago at the quarterback position now like something for this team this year what's a unique angle you're not going to find anywhere else so um sometimes it's a stat sometimes it's a call i had with a coach but um yeah i appreciate that that was the goal so to see that shine through is 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 pretty surreal
1: kurt you got anything that's it man just thanks for coming on you're always one of my favorite guests of the year
2: yeah, thanks. I, I feel like I should have put more eyes on big terms in there, like uh, a robust 400 yards um, or uh, what's the other one? Uh, jaws of victory. What is it? The, the jaws of defeat. I love that one.
1: Um, Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory?
2: Yeah, yeah. You do it better than me, obviously. It's one of the catchphrases. I mean, when I listen to so many hours, I, I pick up, up on it, but you guys do excellent work. Um, I'm kind of weird where I don't really follow it as much in the season. I'm reviewing the entire season after the fact. So it'll be the middle of February – And I'm either working out or working on the book, and I'll just have you guys on talking Big Ten. So uh, just know that I'm out there. I'm listening to it all. You guys are great. It's my go-to every year. Keep up the great work. Great guests, too. Uh, Great fans. I've been interacting with a lot of them. Um, Your name gets brought up a ton uh, in Big Ten circles.
0: So keep up the great work, and uh, thanks for having me. We appreciate the kind words. We appreciate all the work you do and coming on the podcast. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I am Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.